Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, my spectacular people. This is Heather Williams, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast. This episode is entirely listener-supported. If you would like to join me as an executive producer, check out the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com. And thanks for listening. Boo! History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 175th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are featuring the Santa Maria Inn, and this was suggested to us by Elliot Gladstone, who is one of the co-hosts of the Entwined podcast. And he is going to be joining us a little later to share a haunting experience that he had at this hotel. And he was so unnerved that he won't stay there again. And Denise, I did that little thing that I sometimes do with people and ask them about their paranormal experiences. Well, Elliot shares something that is related to his grandmother and some experiences that she had. It's a pretty creepy story that he's going to share with us. Yes, it is. Before we get into that, you guys probably noticed at the end of episode 174, we brought in as our outro music, the music that we used to use for our This Day in History segment that we used to do because we'd gotten so many requests via email about people wanting to find out where they could hear that music. So I thought, you know what? I love that music. Why don't we just go ahead and end the show with it? Well, not only did we get a lot of emails and hear a lot of comments about the music, but Denise, (laughs) needless to say, our listeners were not pleased with our decision to dump the This Day in History segment. They were quite disappointed, actually. And one of the people who was most vocal about this was Mom. And when mom's not happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) Just kidding, mom. (laughs) What was great, Denise, is we had a lot of our listeners were like, we don't want to lose this segment, but we understand why you want to pull it. So here's some ideas. Why don't you guys do a this week in history or maybe this month in history? So because so many of you wanted it back and we listened to our listeners, this segment is back. It's back with the music that you love and it's going to be featuring now this month in history. So whatever month this episode that we are recording happens to fall in, it will be something that happened in that month sometime in the history of the world. That opens it up pretty much and doesn't pigeonhole us and yet gives the history segment back to the listeners. I like it. You guys requested it. We bring it to you. So there you go. You're welcome. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Rainy. Hello, Rainy. And Laurel. Hello, Laurel. All right. Let's start things off with this moment in oddity. There are creatures described in the oral traditions of Native Americans. These are little people that stood between 20 inches to 3 feet tall. These legends would seem to match up with European lore about fairies and leprechauns, but these tales date back before Europeans ever arrived in America. To the Shoshone Indians of Wyoming, the small race of people were known as the Nimmerigger. These were an aggressive people who shot poison arrows from their tiny bows. It was said that they would kill their own if they were unable to be an active part of their community due to illness. The Comanche had the Nunupi, which were described as small bipedal humanoids with large heads and long arms. Some had long hair and some had no hair. They were described as mischievous. The Cherokee had the Yamwi and the Hawaiians had the Menehuni. All of these little people were similar in attitudes and appearance. Were these just legends? Were these some kind of spirit as some native tribes believed? Were these star people from the heavens? 
It would be easy to pass these stories off as legends, but skeletons of these little people have been found in several places in America. Chacoten, Ohio, had a burial ground with numerous remains of a race of people measuring under three feet. Another graveyard in Coffee County, Tennessee, held the remains of reputedly thousands of little people. A whole race of little people is unique, but the fact that they no longer exist certainly is odd. And now, This Month in History. In the month of January in 1979, Vietnamese troops seized the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh, and this topples the Khmer Rouge and the dictator Pol Pot. He had organized the Khmer Rouge in the Cambodian jungle in the 1960s. Their goal was to foment a communist revolution, and if that meant killing people, they were willing to do so. They gained control of a third of the country by 1970 with the help of the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong. The United States bombed the Cambodian territory in 1973, and the power vacuum left behind was captured by the Khmer Rouge, and by 1975, the pro-U.S. regime was overthrown and Pol Pot was in control. Pol Pot and his thugs spread like a cancer across Cambodia and killed 2 million Cambodians from 1975 to 1979. Intellectuals were killed, skilled workers were killed, anyone with glasses or a watch were killed. These atrocities are known today as the killing fields. It would take until 2009 for the first genocide trials to start. Santa Maria is a town that lies strategically halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. This makes it an attractive stopover point for travelers. The Santa Maria Inn is a central coastal historical landmark that has provided accommodation for business people, tourists, and celebrities for nearly 100 years. Those celebrities include Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, and Jean Harlow. Other guests that have stayed here have never left and remain after death. The hotel is reputedly haunted by several spirits and gives enough creeps that some people never want to stay again. One of those people, as we already mentioned, is Elliot Gladstone of the Entwined Podcast, and he joins us to talk about the history, hauntings, and his experiences at the Santa Maria Inn. Spanish explorers were the first Europeans to come to the Santa Maria area, and they found the native Chumash tribe already there. The Spanish set up missions in two of them, San Luis Obispo, founded in 1772, and La Parisma Concepcion, founded in 1787, bordered the Santa Maria Valley. These mission lands would be made available for private ownership after the Mexican War of Independence. Santa Maria was originally called Grangerville and then Central City and was founded by four men, Rudolph Cook, John Thornburg, Isaac Fessler, and Isaac Miller. And what they did is they basically each had a corner of land there, and they built their homes there, and they had all this acreage. And then they donated those strips of land where their properties adjoined so that they could lay out Central City. And they did so in 1874. In 1882, the name was changed to Santa Maria because the town's mail kept ending up in another place, Denise. Where do you think that would have been? Um, that would probably be Central City, but Colorado. Indeed. That city was a little better known because there was a lot of gold rush stuff going on in Central City and mining. So when they saw Central City, they just assumed, oh, Colorado. Huge fires ripped through in 1883 and 1884, but the town thrived as the Pacific Coast Railroad continued to bring in business. The turn of the 20th century brought oil discovery, and the Santa Maria Valley would have produced $640 million worth of oil by the 1950s. Wow. Frank J. McCoy was an American born in Ireland. He grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and moved to San Francisco in 1900. He came to the Santa Maria Valley in 1901 looking for work, and he found it at the Union Sugar Plant. The plant extracted sucrose from the sugar beets. A whole company town sprang up around the facility called Betteravia, which refers to the French word for beetroot. 
About 350 lived there until the 1950s when the sugar company decided renting out homes was not something they were interested in doing anymore, and by the 1960s, most of the buildings had been raised in Betaravia. Atlas Obscura reports that the site still boasts two enormous hermetically sealed silos, a more or less intact refinery building, and a towering furnace stack. McCoy left the company in 1916 after he noticed that the area really needed a hotel. Yeah, Denise, I, when I was doing some of the research, you guys know I like to go down my rabbit holes. And so I went, huh, I wonder what information is out there about this Union Sugar plant. And you better be careful, Diane. We're going to start calling you Alice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Denise, but if I'm Alice, that makes you maybe the Mad Hatter or the White Rabbit or the Evil Queen <laughs> or, of Hearts or Tweedledum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So anyway... When I put this into the search, all of a sudden I got this Atlas Obscura article that popped up and I went, oh, this is going to make my heart go pitter-pat because it's one of my favorite websites. So it was really neat. We do have a link there in the show notes if you guys want to check out. It's another one of these urban explorer pictures of abandoned places kind of thing. So that'd be fun for you guys to check out if you like that kind of stuff. Frank J. McCoy built the original Santa Maria Inn, which only had 24 rooms at the time in 1917. The property had highway frontage, so it was perfect for travelers. Each of the rooms had its own bath, which, of course, as we know back in that time, was a real luxury. McCoy planted gardens around the Humba Hotel, and many of those original plantings are still a part of the Rose Garden today. Every room was supplied with fresh flowers every single day. The main areas were decorated with McCoy's collection of copperware, pewter, and a lot of artwork that was done by California artists. In 1928, he expanded the hotel to 85 rooms. The tap room, which is still there, was designed by Edgar Cheesewright and added in 1941. This bar truly captured the atmosphere of an old English pub. It had peg plank wooden floors and rich wormwood paneling. And I was reading an article about the restoration that was done a few years ago, and they had a hell of a time because they decided they wanted to expand the tap room and make it bigger because it was really small. So it really felt like an old English pub. They had a lot of people who were not happy about that because they were saying, oh, that's changing what the original was, but they really felt like they needed more room. But to match the wood, it took them forever to find the right wood. And I think they finally found it in Massachusetts somewhere. The rich and famous flocked to the hotel. We had a lot of Hollywood legends staying there like Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, Betty Davis, Marlena Dietrich, Bing Crosby, Joan Crawford, and Bob Hope. And many of these rooms are still marked with stars to indicate which celebrity had once stayed in the room. We also had sports stars that liked to come like Willie Mays and Joe DiMaggio. And of course, we can't leave out the rich and political, so we had people like Richard Nixon, William Randolph Hearst, and Herbert Hoover, who also stayed here. The hotel went to a nephew after McCoy's death, and he added more rooms, a coffee shop, and a swimming pool. By the 1970s, things were going poorly, and the inn closed. Highway 101 had been built, and faster cars that could travel farther in one trip had taken their toll. The inn was vandalized, and antiques were stolen. It reopened in 1981 under new ownership, and in 1984, the six-story tower was added. The hotel thrives today with 164 rooms and boasts that it has the, quote, comfort and style of the English countryside, end quote. And the hotel also has something else that is anything but comforting, and that are ghosts. The Santa Maria Inn is reputedly home to many ghosts, each coming from a different walk of life. So I like that we have diversity here at this hotel. It's a very, very important part when you have hauntings. Indeed. You want to cover several years, several backgrounds. Yeah. And maybe we're going to find our ghost in parachute pants. Nah. I don't think so. (laughs) We have yet to find it, but I know one day, if we keep committed, we will find our ghost in parachute pants. Yes, we will. The first ghost that has been reported belongs to the Hollywood silent film hunk, Rudolph Valentino. Valentino was known as the Latin lover. He was born in Italy in 1895 as Rodolfo Alfonso Raffaello Pierre Philibert Guglielmi di Valentino de Antiguala. <laughs> Denise, you said that almost all in one breath. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot of names. Hey, when you can have, you know, eight or ten, why have just one? He was a poor student and a never-do-well. The family finally shipped him off to America to learn to be a man. 
He worked odd jobs in New York until he met and befriended a beautiful heiress. He found himself embroiled in scandal when this woman divorced her husband. She went on to kill her ex-husband. The whole situation degraded him and he changed his name to various parts of Rudolph Valentino and moved to Hollywood. He acted in the theater while working odd jobs once again. He got bit parts in several movies, usually as a villain because he was darker complected. In 1921, he starred in The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which was a critical success. It was the first film to make $1 million at the box office, and it is the sixth best-selling silent movie of all time. The silent film The Sheik would make him a huge star, and he made more commercial movies after that, gaining a rabid female following. And Denise, one of the cool things is, when I was a kid, I didn't really know who Rudolph Valentino was, other than he was the face of this person that was on this antique tin that my mom had that was one of these, you know, I don't know what they would have kept in it, probably back in the 20s. And so it was, you know, some kind of promotional thing. And it here had him on there. And he was in his chic costume from the shoulders up. It's kind of a painting. And it had Rudolph Valentino and the chic on it. Oh, that's that's cool. So whoever had it was maybe one of these rabid female fans. Something like that. And then my mom picked it up. Well, fast forward to high school. And we had to do a magazine that dealt with a specific decade. And we had to hand make it. And I got the 1920s, which was right up my alley. I put a flapper on the front of it and I called it the Flapper Monthly. And one of the news, quote unquote, news stories I had in there was all about Rudolph Valentino and his death. So it was it was it kind of was a full circle thing for me. So I was really excited that he was connected to this hotel. And I thought, you know, we might as well talk a little bit about him. Jack Dempsey said of Valentino, quote, he was the most virile and masculine of men. The women were like flies to a honeypot. He could never shake them off anywhere he went. What a lovely, lucky guy. (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) He was married twice. The second had to be annulled after it was discovered he was not divorced from his first wife, with whom he never consummated the marriage, because it would seem that she batted for our team, Denise. The Tampa Bay Rays? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the Tampa Bay Rays, indeed. And uh, he eventually remarried the second wife. They had to annul and then they got remarried. They had to spend like a year away from each other and couldn't even be near each other. So they would sneak to see each other. And then they got married, but they eventually ended up divorcing as well. He was heavily in debt most of his life and he lived a very hard life. And this led to him having multiple ulcers in his stomach. Eventually, these ulcers perforated. And in 1926, he was just doubled over with excruciating pain. They take him to the hospital and for a little over a week, he just lingered in this excruciating pain. They would give him morphine. It would last for like five minutes. And then he was moaning and groaning and just horrible again. They did surgery and nothing seemed to work. And finally, he just got, uh, you know, obviously this infection that just filled his system. And they knew pretty quickly that there was nothing that could be done. They brought in the last rites and it took a little over a week and he finally was dead and he was only 31 years old. And when you are a a Hollywood superstar hunk and you die young, you just become an icon that is always remembered and a legend. So he didn't make a whole lot of movies, but he is a legend for sure. And there were just people gathered outside of the hospital waiting for news of his imminent death. And the women, of course, were just devastated. 10,000 people tried to attend his funeral. Wow. During his Hollywood career, he stayed at the Santa Maria Inn in room 221. He has been seen lying on the bed in the room, and his indentation on the top of the covers is clearly seen. His favorite tactic seems to be knocking on doors, particularly of room 221. We read several accounts of people being awakened by knocking on the door, and some of them came across as negative reviews about the hotel, where people were completely unaware that the noise they were experiencing all night long was probably something supernatural. And Elliot is going to share with us in a little bit some things that back this up. The second most seen and experienced ghost at the inn belongs to a sea captain. His apparition dates back almost to the time of the hotel initially being built. The legend is that he was having an affair and his mistress murdered him. He's apparently attached to room 210. So perhaps he was murdered in that room. He haunts other areas as well, though. Activity that is felt in those other areas that could possibly be connected to him are icy chills in the room. The garden and cellars have activity. There's disembodied footsteps that are heard. Doors open and close on their own. And a piano plays by itself. 
Unexplained perfume smells are also reported, which is interesting because we have a sea captain and we have Rudolph Valentino so far, who I wouldn't think they would be wearing perfume. A balloon once followed a housekeeper around, even following her downstairs, which I thought was a very unique story. But the perfume could come from the ghost of a woman known as Peppy. We're not real sure about her because she came through as a channeled spirit by a medium, which sometimes can be dubious. She claimed that she was friends with the hearse and that she would stay at the hearse castle on occasion. She apparently was a cocaine addict and she died of an overdose. An assistant manager at the hotel claimed that the curtains in room 216 sometimes billow by themselves even when the windows were closed. He also said that one could feel the captain all around the inn, so he's kind of tying those two together. Yeah, so I'm not sure if 216 is something that could be connected to this woman or not. I actually found the conversation that the channeled spirit had with whoever was there with her when they were doing the seance and she did the channeling. And when she started getting all the information, the woman said that they should just call her Peppy because she was very peppy in life. And, you know, Denise, how I feel about mediums, I think most of it is kind of quackery. But this just, I don't know. I'm not really sure when somebody tells me that they're speaking for another spirit and it's this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But it would seem that we have some kind of female spirit here in some capacity if we're smelling perfume. So I'm not sure. Unless one of the, either the captain or Rudolph Valentino were cross-dressers too, you know. Well, that's true. I don't know that Rudolph Valentino ever went that way, but who knows about the captain? I like to look through TripAdvisor reviews to get some personal experiences that people throw in there because they're things that you're not going to necessarily see in other places. And we found a couple of those. One of them said, stayed in the jacuzzi suite. Wouldn't have it any other way. Gorgeous suite with bay window, nice views, fireplace, bedroom, kitchenette, master bath. Had to nosy around the quote-unquote haunted rooms, which are in the older part of the hotel where Marilyn Monroe and other celebrities have stayed. Saw a few strange things happen, like a vending machine working on its own and a fork and knife appear out of nowhere. We found it too funny rather than scary. Must say, if there are ghosts, they are very friendly. And I thought, you know, if I see a fork and a knife appear out of nowhere, I'm not sure I would be laughing. (laughs) Nope. I don't think I would. And I, I just thought, wow, I, it almost seems like it's just kind of an offhanded conversation. Like, yeah, we saw the vending machine just kind of doing its own thing. And well, all of a sudden, this fork and knife came out of nowhere. It's like, okay, does that happen to you every day? or <laughs> Just a day-to-day occurrence. And the other review said, I have found out that Rudolph Valentino, a film star from the 20s, used to stay at the inn regularly and still does. He stayed in a room on the same floor that I stayed in when I went to the inn in 2003. There have been numerous reports of similar experiences as mine. Apparently it is said that Rudolph loves to lie down on the beds, and that was what I felt when my body was held down on the bed by an unexplained pressure. There have also been accounts of Mr. Valentino sitting at the head of the bed. So I wouldn't be very comfortable with that. No. Even if he was a Hollywood hunk. And now we are joined by Elliot Gladstone, who is one of the co-creators and co-hosts of the Entwined podcast, which I have mentioned on our podcast several times. How are you doing, Elliot? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I thought we could start off with you telling everybody a little bit about your podcast. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So myself, Elliot Gladstone, and one a really good friend, P.S. McKay, started a podcast in April of 2016 called Entwined. And the Entwined podcast, basically what we do is we try to kind of tie together different moments in history, along with some kind of theoretical or ideological things and kind of try to pull it all together to end with the listener walking away going, oh, that was neat. Um, That's really our goal. And so we connect things from, you know, all different time periods and things that people wouldn't ordinarily think were connected. And I think actually at one point in time, you said about us that it was stuff that you already kind of know about, but it's presented in a different kind of interesting storytelling type of way. So that probably describes us better than we can describe ourselves. Well, I'm going to fangirl for a minute because I love your podcast. When I first discovered it, I think you had done something on Google+. Plus liked something or because I don't hang out on Google Plus much, but all of a sudden I saw this Entwined pop up and I went, huh, what's that? And I liked your logo. And so I'm like, well, let me check that out because I'm always looking for new podcasts. And I listened to the first episode and I went, 
wow, this is amazing. I just, I love the way that you guys can take all these things that you would not think are connected and somehow you connect them and you do, you get to the end and you went, wow, that was really cool. I just went on a trip and it was really fun. No, thank you so much. I think I posted on the Whaley House episode like, hey, that was a cool episode, ladies, or something like that. And you responded. And then I think I followed it up with something about Justin Timberlake. And, uh, <laughs> and it went on from there. <laughs> and Lord only knows how we got to there to here and all that other good stuff. But uh, you and PS have become really good friends in the podcast community. And you're one of the uh, handful of podcasts that we support because we really believe in the work that you guys are doing. So I encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah, and we truly appreciate your support for sure. You've been a tremendous help to us. So, Oh, well, you're very welcome. Well, you also, like us, have a quote-unquote real job that you do other than the podcast, and that sometimes requires you to do a little bit of traveling. And so you've had to stay at the Santa Maria Inn there in California a few times. Is that correct? Yep, I have. I've stayed uh, twice. And only twice. <laughs> <laughs> There's kind of a reason why only twice, right? Because I believe you told me that you had no interest in staying there ever again. Yeah, absolutely. It's the Santa Maria Inn is only about four hours from my house. And I had taken over an area for work that had me traveling down there and spending overnights. And I like to try to limit the time away from my family. So I'd head down nine o'clock at night after uh, the kids went to bed do the four plus, you know, 420 hour drive and get there late, check in, better at driving at night than in the morning. So I'd wake up, head into the office, work most of a day and then drive home that next day. So minimize. So the first time I went there, you know, nothing really significant happened. I, uh, I did the drive. I got there late, checked in, stayed overnight. I think I just must have fallen on the bed like I was dead and kind of slept still with my clothes on, kind of feet half hanging off. I think at the time they had, I don't know what they have now, but they had like, uh, I remember being like a, a very interesting striped, like a uh, cover duvet or whatever it was. It was like kind of like out of date time period wise. You know, I stayed at the hotel next morning. I went in, my boss said, um, yeah, Hey, where'd you stay? How'd you sleep? And I said, oh, I slept fine. I stayed at the Santa Maria Inn. The place is really nice. I wish I had stayed longer. And he's like, really? And I'm, yeah, I don't, yeah, why? And uh, and he said, well, because it's haunted. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. And actually, at that moment, that was the end of the conversation. I was like completely moved on, whatever. And then three weeks later, I drove down again, uh, walked in. It's a really nice hotel. I don't know if you guys are going to have pictures on the site or describe it. But like when you drive up, it's like kind of right on a main road. Uh, they got like a waterfall out front, an overhang that you can park under and kind of go inside and check in. And then when you check in, you kind of walk into this like it's almost like you walk out of current time period into old time period. So like the entryway, like where they have the check-in kind of desk, it's all wood. Like there's wood everywhere. The ceiling is made of wood. The walls are made of wood. Paneling. The front desk is wood. It has like wood statues on the side of it. And there's like one clerk there. And, uh, you know, it's probably close to one in the morning, if not after. And I kind of walk in, they have very antique furniture, old, old looking carpet, antique looking carpet. And I check in and He's like, hey, uh, we, don't, we don't have that many rooms uh, right now. There's some sort of convention in town. I can put you on the second floor or I can put you on the ground floor. And I'm kind of a like I don't like for some reason, I don't know why, but I really don't like to be on the ground floor when I'm at a hotel. I just for some reason I don't. So I said, hey, yeah, put me on the second floor. He's like, OK, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, put me on the second floor. It's not a big deal. I head off to my room. I go, you know, walk down the hall or whatever. And I go into the room. And, uh, you know, just like a normal hotel room, a little more antique kind of feeling of a room. Like they have like some older furniture in there that kind of complements the, you know, the old light and the alarm clock seemed like it was from maybe 1940. And, uh, I do kind of the same thing. Like I've just like, I'm exhausted. It's one o'clock in the morning. I got to get up at six and I just fall down onto the bed. I don't know. Sometime, maybe two hours later, I wake up and it's freezing in the room. And it's and I wake up to basically a bang on the door. It sounds like like a bang on the door. The room is freezing. I get up from fully clothed on top of the covers, on top of the duvet, and I walk to the door. I look through the people, and I don't see anything. No big deal, right? So I'm like, oh, that was weird. Maybe just you know some random thing or whatever. So I get back in the bed. You know, I change into the you know pajamas. I get back into the bed. I fall back asleep. Probably about a half hour later, I'm woken again to what sounds like banging on the door. The room is still cold. I have all the covers on. I get out from the covers. This is like, mind you, like September on the West Coast. So 
I know you guys are in Florida, but mm-hmm. for the people that are listening to this that aren't on the West Coast and aren't in Florida, it does get cold, but <laughs> not not at this time in this area. No. And so I get up, I walk to the door, I look out, I actually look out the peephole and I don't see a single thing. I open the door, I look down the hall, I don't see a single thing. And I look to the right, I don't see a single thing. So I'm like, super weird, maybe like night terror, something like that. So I go back, I get in the bed, I fall asleep. It takes me a little longer to fall asleep. And then the last thing that happens, which is probably the most freaky thing for me, is I wake up to the sound of an alarm clock about an hour later. So now it's probably like close to like 4.30ish. And the alarm clock is going off. I wake up. As I wake up, the alarm clock stops making noise. And I get up. I'm like hitting it with my hand to stop. And it's kind of already stopped. I get out of the bed. I walk to over to the light switch to turn it on to see what's going on because I don't see any numbers on the alarm clock. There's no like, you know how the, uh, the alarm clocks, the some of them have like the flip number and they're like backlit. So yes. like as the right, so <laughs> does like that the mean number we're really changed. old. Yes, I think <laughs> maybe it does. you two are, but I don't know about me. <laughs> She's like, I only know digital. <laughs> um, so like you know, half of the number it's like cut in half, and so like it flips down, the top half flips, and they just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. So it was that kind of alarm clock. And it wasn't lit, so I couldn't see what time it was. So I go over to turn the light on to see what's going on, and I notice as I turn the light on, it's not even plugged into the wall. And so now I'm like, okay, someone's banging on the door. The alarm clock's not plugged in, and it's no longer freezing, which I thought was interesting, but I didn't think it was interesting at the time. I think that now. And so I'm like, holy moly, this is freaky pants. And... I just really didn't sleep for the rest of the night. So the next morning I go into the office, I'm talking to the people and my boss who said it was haunted. And I said, weird thing last night. It sounded like someone was like knock, knock, ditching my door like you do when you were a kid in a hotel. And also this weird alarm thing. I was kind of trying to explain it away as, you know, I had read about like night terrors and that whole paralysis thing. Like maybe I was like thinking that I was in a dream and woke up like that. And my boss goes again, I told you three weeks ago, that place is haunted. And I'm like, yeah, I know you said that, but that doesn't, I mean, is it really? And he's like, seriously, come here. So of course we're at work. We have computers. He pulls up the computer. He Googles Santa Maria in. And like the first thing that comes up, I'm sure you guys have found in your research is like uh, haunted or something like that, or weird California or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it was the Santa Maria Inn. And, um, I was like, Oh my God. And so he started reading through some of the stuff and he's like, someone, people note knocking on the door. There's like these other things or whatever. And I'm like knocking on the door. That's it. And it was like a legitimately haunted or at least reportedly haunted place. And I never went back, (laughs) uh, ever. (laughs) So I now stay somewhere 40 minutes away because it's less freaky pants. Uh, Do you remember what room number you were in? You know what? I uh, was tr- trying to rack my brain. I actually uh, was looking through some of my old emails today to see if I had anything and I didn't. I know it was on the second floor and I would I would think that I would have a memory of it was someone would have asked me and, I, and that would have come up. So I don't know or have no idea if it's if it is a haunted room or one of the haunted rooms. Um, but I know that from when I checked in, the guy said the second floor. I do know as I was like walking out, like they have, I don't know if you guys saw this, but like the, there's like a creepy, like Titanic stairway thing that goes to the downstairs with like a chandelier and a bunch of mirrors. No, and it goes I haven't down seen into, that. Oh, okay. So like, if you look it up, like there's like the, it's in like the main area and it goes down to like, I think there's a kitchen downstairs okay. and also like a wine bar. And, uh, one time there, we had like a work event thing that was part of, it was between the, my first day and my second stay. And it was just during business hours, like right around like six o'clock or something like that. Um, but there's a wine bar down there and I had to walk down that staircase, uh, to get there. And I just, I just looking back on it, I'm like such a creepy staircase, just like with all the mirrors and it just makes you kind of just feel eerie. So like, it was definitely a weird place. Well, the reason why I asked you what room you had stayed in is the two rooms that we have, quote unquote, confirmed hauntings in are on the second floor. So the second floor would be what I would say is the haunted area of the hotel for sure. Yeah. So you definitely were on the right floor. 221 and 210, I think, are the ones that are mainly mentioned. But I shot Denise a look when you said there was this banging on my door. 
because I was looking at TripAdvisor. I like to get a lot of stuff from there because they're not a lot of stories that you will find elsewhere on the internet. And these are people right. who are, you know, writing a review for the hotel and happen to mention, oh, and it's haunted and here's the experience I had. And there were a couple of them that mentioned having the banging on the door. And then there was one person who has no idea that the hotel is haunted and gave it a one-star review because there was this banging on the door all night long and they couldn't believe how much noise was going on. And I guess they just never bothered to, they kept thinking that it was security or something. And I'm like, did you ever like think to get up and maybe look outside and see why somebody would be banging on your door? So when you said that, I went, you know, he's saying exactly what we're hearing from other people. So it kind of makes what you went through legitimate. I mean, it wasn't just some night terror that you were shaken awake and, oh, I had this dream and I'm hearing things. I mean, there probably really was something banging on your door. And the fact that it was so cold in there is that's really weird, too. From speaking with like some of the other people that I've worked with and some of the people that, you know, I've interacted with through business in the area, it sounds like the people that work there, like a lot of those people have had experiences and they've shared a lot of those with, you know, the people that come there. If you ask specifically, I think I mentioned this at one point on on our show on one of the chat the patreon chats that like the the folks in the wine bar i understand like they'll tell you like hey oh yeah yeah no i won't stay here overnight i leave at certain hours or stuff like that so i mean i've been to like motels and stayed down at disneyland and there's always a ruckus and people are always doing things but it was like i mean it was super quiet and i didn't see anybody so oh i just was gonna say that i am right with you that i would not probably be going back to stay there yeah, no, no, absolutely. Too much freaky pants for me. No tempting those spirits. Well, and even the alarm clock, now that is really bizarre because those things don't run without being plugged in. It's not like it back then they didn't have like the battery backups that we have today that you could put in your alarm clock. So if it's running without being plugged in, it's not a battery. Oh, I didn't even think to look for a battery backup. I'm, I don't, I don't even know. I can't. I would imagine it doesn't, but I didn't even think to look for that. Yeah, I don't think the flip ones and maybe some listeners. I never had one of those and I always wanted one because I thought they're really cool. Yeah. So, but I don't think that they had battery backups. I wouldn't think that was something that would come standard back then. I have a, a good friend who I've told the story to who suggests that it's possible in my anger of trying to turn off the alarm clock, I unplugged it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that there's probably some possibility there. I just, I don't think I pulled. I think I was more like, quiet, quiet, quiet. You know how you do. Yeah. So, so I have to ask, have you ever had any other paranormal experiences or was this your one and only? So I haven't had anything like that happen to me in a place. But I could tell you stories upon stories upon stories about things that have happened Um to folks in my family, specifically my grandmother, who has uh, a very interesting paranormal history, we'll say. Is she a medium or she just has had a lot of haunting things happen around her? It's uh, not a medium, just, uh, I mean, she's passed on now, but mm-hmm. uh, a super nice old lady. Uh, she didn't, you know, she didn't work. My grandfather did. And um, I mean, they had uh, twice, they had priests come out to bless the house. And that was in Fremont, California. There was, you know, like a little, and to say this, it sounds kind of out of place, but uh, she would see a little green man, not like an alien, um, but also not like a leprechaun. She's tried to describe it to me. And actually, I had a friend come over when I was in high school to have him hear the story because he used to give me nightmares. Mm -hmm. And um, he couldn't sleep for like a week after that. She just talks about, you know, him sitting on the edge of her bed. Oh, my gosh, like, Elliot. I was just going to ask you, did she see him at the edge of her bed? Yeah, the edge of the bed. And I had another, uh, like I knew a girl um, growing up that said that my grandmother might have walked through like some sort of fairy circle or something like that. But, uh, yeah, she would see him sitting on the edge of the bed and he never said anything to her. Mm-hmm. And he would just look at her. And it wasn't like an evil I'm going to eat your face look, mm-hmm. um, but just like a, a very knowing, like not happy, not but not like angry face. One time I, she had woken and he was sitting on her chest and it felt like she couldn't breathe. Oh. Yeah. Every time I've heard the and I've heard the little green man story before, it is at the edge of the bed, which is why I was yeah. going to ask you that. That is Wow. 
That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so then um, they had the priest come out and bless the house. And then um, they actually moved houses because this started when she was uh, like a young girl. Uh-huh. And uh, then they, they had the priest bless the house and then they had the family had moved and um, it didn't happen for a while. And then the it happened again um, at the second house and they had the priest bless it again and it went away. And then nothing happened for years and years and years until she was an adult. She saw him during the day while she was awake in the kitchen looking out through the garage. So they have like a screen door on the inside garage door. And if you look straight out to the outside wall, you can see the outside garage door and the outside garage door, which is like an open and shut door, not like a drive the car through door, has a window that's a a square at the very top of the door only. So the bottom half opaque or whatever, and the top half you can see through its glass. And she saw him at the top half in the window, his face through that window. And she dropped what she had shattered across the floor and she ran into the other room. She got my grandfather. She ran back into the kitchen. And he was gone. And this was very significant because, first of all, he was a little green man. And second of all, it had never been like this before. She was terrified and they didn't know what to do. And, and then it turned out like my uncle, he and my grandmother like knew like they had something together and he knew about this as well as some of the other kids didn't for a lot of years because not that he had seen him, but somehow they, they each of them knew. I, I don't know mm-hmm. um, exactly too much about that. It always creeped me out as a kid. I, I was uh, – fortunately, I never had to stay overnight there after I had heard these stories, <laughs> only up until before, but I had never experienced it. Yeah, I would not want to stay there either. I mean, I can understand why you're freaked out because that is just because it's one thing if you're talking about something that is like a human spirit, but I don't know what to make of when I hear stories like that, or I've heard stories about a frog like creature. And it's like you said, when you mention the fairy people, that's what you start thinking about because you're like, is this some other kind of entity, something that we don't know? And it, what's weird is it's like it was attached to her because this is an entirely different home that she's seeing it at. Yeah. In fact, and this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's a good part of the story. Uh, at least my, the mo- my most interesting, like the way I, I'm the most interested in this part of the story. She saw it up until with her and my uncle, they had the thing and my uncle lived in Florida at the time and my grandmother lived in Fremont and he had come back and was at the edge of her bed. She, you know, closed her eyes, closed her eyes, closed her eyes until she didn't see it anymore. And my uncle somehow from Florida, I think it's the way that he's described it. And I know it's not teleporting, but that's kind of how like a in, in the mind of both of them, he did kind of like what he called like a battle of the wits with this green man thing that he described as exhausting to the point where he like slept for a significant amount of time after he had woken, like he had awoken and then gone back to sleep after that. And he said that it felt like a bookcase had fallen on him after this was done. And then after they, this moment that they shared with this green man, no one has ever seen or heard of it again up until the moment my grandmother passed away and not then either. Wow. So it's almost like he was able to battle it back with whatever, battle of the wits they were doing there. Yeah, it makes it it makes it much more far-fetched of a story, but uh good just the same. <laughs> well, you know, we're open-minded skeptics here, so I'm open to everything. I may not necessarily believe it, but when you hear from enough different people, and especially when you hear from people like you that I know and I know you don't make up stuff and that you are sober-minded, <laughs> And for you to be like, okay, well, my grandmother, you could tell that you are reluctant to tell the story because it does sound crazy. It's like, okay, yeah, your grandmother must have been, was she, you know, nipping on the bottle a lot or something? (laughs) Grandpa, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Grandpa, but not grandma. Yeah, it's too bad that like your grandfather didn't see it too, because then it's like, when you hear it's just like your uncle and your grandmother sharing it, it's like, are they the only ones capable of seeing it? So is it like they're able to see into a different dimension? Because that's what I sometimes think spirits are, is something that's interdimensional. So it may not necessarily be a human spirit that's a dead person. So it makes you wonder if it wasn't some kind of dimensional thing and she can either see into that or they're coming through or... Just weird. No, quite yeah, quite possibly that very well could be. I know they were super. They were close. That could be. You know, they just shared something that my dad had four other brothers, so there's five boys in the house, and uh, it quite possibly could be something that uh, you know they shared together that nobody else did, or it could be just you know freaky pants made up stuff. Who knows? 
<laughs> well, I'm thinking that they wouldn't really want to make that kind of thing up because then people would think they're crazy. But that is probably more freaky pants than you having somebody bang on your door in the hotel. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for, because I had never heard of this inn. And so when you suggested, I was like, okay, we'll check it out. And you're like, well, I have a freaky pants story to tell too. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we shall let you get back to your family. And I'm sure that you have kids now that are like, I want a snack and I want a snack and I want a snack. (laughs) Well, because all the snacks that he gave them before the interview are now gone. (laughs) I tried. I put put snacks out. I put the TV on. Uh, my wife went to pick up one kid at gymnastics. The dog is downstairs. I've heard her bark a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Hopefully she didn't come through and, uh, yeah, they're ready for me. So how many, how old are your children? I have a uh, one, four year old, one, six year old, one, eight year old, about to be nine and an 11 year old. And oh. then we have an eight month old dog. Oh, how fun. <laughs> oh my God. I do not envy you. <laughs> Dan's not it's, as much into fun. children's, but I like them a lot. All right. Well, thank thank your wife for letting us take you away for a little bit there. And you have a great rest of your evening. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. You you take care, Elliot. All right. right, Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, that was great, Denise. That just, the green man, the little green man totally creeps me out. Yes. That's, what the heck is that? You know, it's just, it is scary. Ghosts are scary enough. Any kind of spirit like that. But when I hear things like that, or like I said, the little frog man, those kind of stories just give me the heebie-jeebies, fairies. It's like, what? man. Yeah, what is that stuff? After reading about experiences people have had and hearing from Elliot about his experiences, someone we know and trust, it really would seem that something strange is going on at this hotel. Does Rudolph Valentino's spirit remain in a room where he once stayed, even though he died elsewhere? Does the ghost of a former sea captain still roam about in the afterlife? Is the Santa Maria Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. On our next episode, we are going to feature the German castle in Holland, Michigan. This was suggested to us by Becky Sturgeon. And we will also have the ninth installment of Spectral Edition. We'd love to have you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did hear from Shannon in the crew. So although I'm new here and new to the podcast, I'd love to tell you about a local gym. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and about 45 minutes down the thruway is a place called Rolling Hills Asylum. Originally founded in 1827 as a poorhouse, it quickly became home for the poor, orphans, widows, sick, elderly, mentally ill, etc. Something like 2,000 people died there, many of which went unclaimed and were buried there. This place has become one of the more well-known haunted places over the recent years, and many ghost hunting shows like Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, etc. have come through. It is now open for tours and open to ghost hunting. No electricity and mainly night hours. A group of us went on October 28th this year to a five-hour hunt. In the tour, we learned to use mag lights to talk to the spirit, so we tried it. With my flashlight screwed just off and set down, it began to turn on and off, and we used that to ask the spirit questions. It was so scary. Definitely got my money's worth. In the comments below, I will post one of the many videos of the flashlight combo I took. We also got many EVPs. If you're interested in hearing more, I'd love to talk about this experience with like-minded individuals who are interested in this stuff because there's not too many in my life. We had a red blinking light that was an EMF reader, which only went off in the morgue, which is where they were. At that point, when she recorded, my friend was lying on the morgue table trying to get the spirit's attention when we noticed my flashlight turn on by itself. So we asked questions. The flashlight and EMF were on a cabinet table next to me, which is up against the wall. I've never talked to a spirit before, much less by way of a flashlight, so this was very awkward and scary, so my apologies about how weird I sound, LOL. And again, we don't think you sound weird because we know a lot of people that use flashlights to try to communicate with the spirits. We got a comment from Joe Dickinson. He said, so happy to find you on Facebook. I've just started listening to the podcast and I'm enjoying it a lot. The combination of history and ghost stories is right up my alley. I've always said that ghost stories are the history of everyday people. I love that. That's very nice. I I like that too. Yeah. Some places you may be interested in checking out are in the Niagara Peninsula. And he gave us several recommendations, which we have added to our list. And Joe, I'm going to steal that saying that you have there. 
We also heard from Adriana about our Casey Moore's Oyster House episode, Denise. We had asked about the Monty restaurant that was in the second half of that episode. And she said that Monty's in Arizona is still standing and that it looks more haunted than any other time it ever has before because it's vacant and it's getting kind of overgrown and stuff. And she says the parking lot's roped off. So it just it looks like it should be haunted now for sure. Oh, okay. She's never eaten at the Casey Moore Oyster House, but her husband has, and he's really enjoyed it and stuff. And I didn't hear back from her or not, but I asked if he had um, left his mark on the Blarney Stone. Oh, Diane. (laughs) And Shelby posted a great meme in the Spooktacular crew, Denise, and I know she did it just for us. And what that meme says is, never make fun of someone if they mispronounce a word. It means they learned it by reading. Yay, so at least we read, even though we can't pronounce. I tell you guys, I'm hooked on phonics, so there you go. Yeah, when it comes to the French language, hooked on phonics is a very, very bad thing. We also have a couple of iTunes reviews to share with you. We're going international, Denise. Yay. We got another review from Canada. This is Deke on Texas, I think, or something like that. Great show, five stars. Ladies, just want to say thanks for your show. I love to listen to it on my travel times back and forth to work. Yeah, I'm catching up and trying not to listen to the most recent ones, LOL. Again, thanks. Love the show, Dan. And then we got our second review from Ireland, Denise. Oh, very good. This is JJCBW, a great podcast, five stars. And you're going to be in Ireland in about a month. Yeah, a little less than a month. I'm very jealous. Thank you to Diane and Denise for keeping me sane at work for the past few months. I discovered this podcast back in September when I started a new job. I'm on my own a lot, so I've been working through the back catalog from the start to keep me company. It's just the right blend of history and ghost story, and the hosts are very engaging. I'd love to hear an episode about sites in Ireland. Maybe Loftus Hall would be fun. Well, you happen to be in luck, JJCBW, because I had heard about Loftus Hall a while back, and I threw it up into our calendar for February. So we will be making a stop in Ireland at Loftus Hall next month. And it would be really cool. I'm not sure where that is located in regards to where you're going to be hanging out at the tournament, Denise, but it'd be cool if you could get some pictures or something. I will certainly try. I'm going to be kind of limited on transportation, but I will see what I can do. We want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Allie and Maximilian Wanky. And I hope I said that right. It's W-A-N-K-E. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.